in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're getting well nigh on six months here, finished five months. And uh, I was looking through some of the uh, sermons on the website, and one of them said September. I said, no, I can't be that old. Yeah, actually it is. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, and I hope you don't mind our pace. We're moving rather slowly, but uh, I'll tell you every time we pick out just one little segment of this, it just opens and opens and continues. I could, I could spend a month on the four or so verses that we're looking at tonight, but I'm going to try to get it all done in one night. Um, but you'll have many, outl- uh, many verses here. You can look up and study out some of the uh, things. I almost used the word nuance, and uh, uh, I'll tell you, we'll, we'll get to that toward the end, I hope, tonight. And uh, uh, there's a lot to be said for looking at different aspects, different facets, different uh, views of the same truth. But let's be careful when we communicate that what we say is what we mean, and what we mean is what we say. I tell you, we live in a world where your word is meaningless. Uh, I've used this example. I I know of many, many others. When my dad was a young man, uh, his his father would go into the bank and say, hey, I need to uh, borrow a certain amount of money for uh, planting or seed. And the banker would say, okay, and they'd shake hands, and that would be it. And you know what? The bill was paid. Today... You can't borrow money without hundreds of pages of documentation. We took out a private mortgage. Actually, the synagogue that owned this building gave us what is called a private mortgage. They held the mortgage for us for three years. We were supposed to pay them $200,000 a year. The initial paper discussing that was over 40 pages long. Then after the second payment, we... Uh, as a church, voted to take out a commercial mortgage through our insurance company, and we paid the synagogue off. Now, instead of uh, dissolving that mortgage completely and writing a brand new one, uh, our lawyer recommended that we do what is called an assumption, where the... Uh, the insurance company was assuming the last part of the liability and they, in essence, became party of the first part instead of the synagogue. And it sounds pretty simple. I still have it in there. It took three lawyers, four months, and well over 100 pages of tight material to just do a mortgage assumption. In fact, the insurance company finally said, listen, we can't charge you everything it's costing us to write all of these papers, so we're going to cover part of the closing cost. On the... And I'm sitting here going, this is absurd. But that's the way things are today. And yet, you can have hundreds of pages of documentation, and if you decide to lie, what good does it do? I mean, you often hear me say, 
Well, when the King James Bible was translated, there weren't lawyers. And by that, what we mean is the English language was a very simple, straightforward language. In fact, God could not have picked a better time to put his word into the English language than the years that he did because when you said something in the year 1611 and in that time period, it meant something. Just 60 years later or so, uh, we had, uh, uh, within the next 60, 100 years, we had many of the founding documents of this nation written. How many of you have ever read the Federalist Papers or a portion thereof? How many of you that read them understood what you read the first time through? Everybody's hands go down. I mean, it is difficult, and every American should be required to read the Federalist Papers. You should read essays on democracy. I heard a, uh, a fellow, one of those talk show hosts, quoting essays on democracy, but he didn't know where it came from. And uh, it was talking about how that in a democracy... It only works with a moral and a righteous people. Once you lose morality, democracy cannot function. That wouldn't be very popular in the New York Times, now would it? But that was written at the time our country was founded, and it's no less true then than it is today. But we have a society where words are meaningless. And should you think that we have arrived at a unique time in history, I wish I could tell you it was. But man has always, always come to this point. And we'll illustrate it in the scriptures. And every, uh, every society has had its liars. I've referred to this on several occasions. I'm reading through Ronald Reagan's autobiography, and I'm to the point where he is negotiating with the communist about the arms deals. And, and I will tell you, it's absolutely amazing, his insight into communism and what it was. Uh, they always, you always hear in the news media how Ronald Reagan was an actor. Let, let me tell you, he was a trained economist, number one. He had a degree in econ economics. He was also an, an intellectual above almost anything we have in politics today. You know, they talk about, uh, I can't even remember that jerk's name. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. He's, our, he's now our treasury secretary. He can't even pay his taxes and yet he's the smartest man in the world and the only man who can figure out our treasury problem. Geithner, I think, is his name. L let me tell you something. There, there's a problem there. There's a problem with character. If the secretary of the treasury, the head of the IRS, only pays his taxes after negotiation, there's something wrong. Don't tell me how smart these guys are. But he would... Ronald Reagan, getting back to the point, would, he said, when you deal with a communist, there is only one level of morality that they deal with, whatever is best 
for communism. In one sentence, he summarized thousands and thousands of pages of material and analysis of the communist system. The communist system has only one level of morality. It's what's ever best for our system. So if that means we lie, I am perfectly in keeping with my morality by lying to you, boldface. And he cited so many places where the different communist men he was dealing with were just literally lying through their teeth, and yet it was amazing. Now, Jesus here in these verses, let's just read them. Verse 33, it says, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto thee, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Now this is Jesus' statement here. He said, it hath been said of an old time, and we've gone back, and, and we have found the first time that Jesus said uh, this, he was referring to the commandment, thou shalt not kill. The second time, we just finished three weeks on that one, he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, each of these commandments were not just singular in their focus and in the scope of what was being intended by God when he gave those words to Moses on Mount Sinai. When he said, thou shalt not kill, Jesus is filling out the whole meaning of this thing. Thou shalt not hate. Thou shalt not be angry with thy brother without a cause. You'd, you'd better deal with things now. Let not, thy son go, let not the sun go down upon thy wrath. Amen? I mean, if we abode by those simple rules, we would have a different world in which we live, wouldn't we? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, thou shalt not lust. And you're not going to treat this thing called marriage lightly. It is one of the most sacred relationships that God has given to mankind. And it must be treated honorably and carefully. And you look at, through history... Any nation that has downtrodden the idea of marriage and the family has destroyed itself. It is the building blocks of society. We wonder why these kids grow up with such weird and unusual notions. It's because, I uh, hope you don't get angry when I say this, but mom and dad weren't there to beat them out of them. Uh, and I don't mean abuse, all right? But uh, mom and dad have a great responsibility to train up those children. And Esther, you need to stop tormenting Miss Rowena and go back and sit beside mama there. Um, there's just 
a whole realm of righteousness that's involved in this thing called marriage that's absent in today's society. Now he says, listen, you've heard of it in old time. It hath been said by them in old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself. Now, if you look up the word forswear in your King James Bible, it only occurs one place, right here. And so some people have said, well, we don't know where Jesus is actually quoting this, but let's look up the word forswear. And I have the definition printed out here from the Oxford English Dictionary here. Definition one is to abandon or renounce an oath or in a manner deemed irrevocable. So if you promised to do something, you gave your word, you swore an oath that you were going to do something, and then you come back and you say, I'm not going to do it, no, never, no, no way, no how, ever, ever, ever. That is forswearing. It is breaking your oath in a way that is deemed or understood to be irrevocable. Uh, definition number two is to deny or repudiate an oath with strong asservation. Definition number three, to swear falsely, to commit perjury. Definition number four is to swear by a thing falsely or profanely. I swear on a stack of Bibles that this car was only owned by a little old lady that drove it from church to home on Sunday morning. That's one of the old jokes of the used car salesman. But the idea of forswearing is to repudiate an oath or something that you verified is true, which means that Either you were lying then or you're lying now, one of the two. Or possibly both, I guess. Um, that you uh, are denying something, uh, that you have... Uh, it, it's just another idea of that, to swear falsely, to commit a perjury. This is the truth, and this is the whole reason why Mike Radabaugh had to endure everything that he had to endure. Because this little girl forswore herself, and if the truth were known, the prosecuting attorney did the same exact thing. Swore in a court of law that certain things had happened that never did. To commit perjury. In fact, uh, we have a president that was convicted of that, I think, or disbarred for it. Uh, perjury is a serious crime. And then to swear falsely by a thing. And what we, or profanely. That means to do it in such a way as to make light. To take a used car and compare it to the Word of God profanes or makes the Word of God a very common and worthless thing. To Say, listen, I, I promise you on whatever you might use to gain your veracity. Jesus said, listen, in, in the Old Testament law, it said, if you give an oath, you're supposed to perform it. Now, 
there's actually three different passages in the Old Testament law that deal with this. And we're going to go through all three. And I'll give you the answer before the beginning is I believe Jesus had all three passages in mind when he was speaking this and giving us a summary of the ninth commandment, thou shalt not forswear thyself, thou shalt not bear false witness, is where we're going to go first. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20, 16. Actually, the whole verse is printed for you right there. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Deuteronomy 5, uh, 19 says, Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Uh, the idea here is to give a false testimony for any reason. To give out false information to represent something that is not as if it were true. We spend so much time trying to justify our lies, do we not? And uh, one of the things, if your wife asks you the question, does this make me look fat? Uh, they always want to joke about that. Listen, you have no reason in this world to tell a falsehood. By the way, do you have any other reason to take the truth and beat somebody over the head with it? Do you follow what I'm saying by that? You don't have to walk up to somebody and say, Listen, you're as ugly as a mud fence. I've never met somebody as ugly as you are. And yet they use examples like that to say it's okay to tell a lie. It is not. Never has been. Never will be. Just because you tell the truth doesn't mean that you must be obtuse and offensive and ridiculous toward another human being. That is a subtle psychological trick that people use to try to get you to understand that it's okay to tell a lie. Uh, I've told this story before. I had a professor in Bible college. And you say, you tell such horrible stories about your professors in Bible college. Yeah, there were some good ones, but there were some real rats. And they all got fired uh, soon after I left. But this one fellow was there. And he brought into a class a question. The class was on hemardiology and anthropology. Doesn't that sound like fun? Hemardiology is the study of sin. Anthropology is the study of man. And so it's a class. It, it deals with all the Bible verses that deal with the nature of man and the nature of sin. And unfortunately, those two subjects go very well together. I mean, they just fit right hand in glove. I mean, they're, you can't actually separate them, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the professor came in and said, I want to put a scenario to you. The authorities have knocked on your door. They want to arrest your wife for being a Christian. Are you going to tell them the truth, or are you going to lie and face God, having told a lie, and protect your wife? And, of course, one of the students' first answers was, well, I don't have to tell him anything. He said, no, that's not allowed. You see, he had a program in his mind that 
it is better for you to sin and face a great, willfully choose to sin and disobey God and then face God with that sin you have chosen than it is to be honest and obey God and face the consequences of what might come. Do you see how evil that is? Can you accomplish one good thing by sin? Can anyone? Has anyone ever done anything good by sinning? You say, well, wait a minute, there's got to be an example somewhere. I mean, you can't have a universal uh, negative. I mean, uh, just from a logic point, we've got to find something somewhere. But let me tell you something. Why does God call sin, sin? Because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. It is always right to obey God. You will accomplish nothing good by telling a lie. Not one thing. You will accomplish nothing good by disobeying a clear command in God's word ever. This is what Jesus is saying here. Thou shalt not bear false witness. There is no reason in this world to tell a lie. A lie can be unspoken. A lie can be spoken. The purpose is to use a fault to use false information to gain some advantage. Now, does this mean that uh, you get pulled over by the police officer and he says, you were speeding. He said, oh, yeah, I was speeding last week and the week before, and you better, you better give me about 50 tickets. Uh, the, these are the different, uh, what do we call it? Psychobabble is probably a good thing, that people use to try to justify telling a lie. Hey, let's be honest about the situation Today, Amen. Praise God, my sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't have to get up here in this pulpit and explain every one of them to you. If good enough for God to forget about them, you'd better work on help letting God help you forget about them too. Amen. What we're talking about here is being put into a situation where we tell something that is wrong to hurt someone or to gain some advantage or to accomplish something that we deem to accomplish. That's gaining an advantage. The Bible just simply says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. You are not allowed to use your neighbor to get advantage to your person. By the way, do you remember who asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? Does anybody remember that? 
was one of the Pharisees. And then Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And then he finished the story by asking the question, who was neighbor to him that fell amongst the thieves? And it says, he that showed mercy, he that had compassion. Then Jesus said, go thou and do likewise. A little later on, these same people asked Jesus what the greatest law was. He said, the greatest law is to love the Lord thy God. The second one is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's going to be reiterated when we get to Leviticus chapter 19. Let's go there and spend a few minutes here. I believe Jesus was actually quoting the ninth commandment. He just used the word forswear instead of bear false witness. It is the Greek word versus Hebrew. It means exactly the same thing. Well, we've been through this, but let's go to Leviticus chapter 19. And what is happening in the book of Leviticus is God is expanding and giving much more detailed information on those basic Ten Commandments that he called the covenant. The Ten Commandments were the summary. They were the opening paragraph that contained in them the essence of all the other 603 of God's total 613 laws given in the Old Testament. Now, chapter 19, starting at verse 12, it says, Ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night into the morning. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shalt fear thy God. I am the Lord. Ye shall, no do, ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. All of these are put together here. God is giving us just a summary of commandments of how we ought to carry ourselves with a word that is used very little in the English language today. The word is integrity. Uh, we have very little use of the word integrity today because there are very few people who possess this attribute that ought to be part of of the soul of every person who names the name of Jesus Christ. When you say a man has integrity or a woman has integrity, what we're talking about is their entire character, both in word and deed, is trustworthy and reflective or shows the best that God can do through human nature. That's what that word means. Integrity is something that you want to have in your life. Amen? 
And as you deal with other people, you go right down through this thing and it deals with all of these things. You shouldn't swear falsely. You shouldn't profane the name of God. How many times have we heard the testimony, if it weren't for somebody who called themselves a Christian, I might think about being one. That's integrity. If I name the name of Jesus Christ and don't show his name by how I live, I'm in essence profaning the name of my God, am I not? It says here, actually, uh, let's just touch on this. We're going to get to what people call the Lord's Prayer. It actually should be called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus was teaching the disciples and anyone who wanted to enter the kingdom in Matthew chapter 6, how to pray. And what was the first request of that prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. One commentator made the point that as Jesus is instructing us to be pure and clean in our speech, he's reminding us of blessed are the pure in heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What a great connection there. Amen. Jesus is going back through these Beatitudes. And he is reiterating again. The only way you're going to get to victory over your own anger and hurt and lack of forgiveness of other people is by being poor in spirit, mourning for your own sin, operating in meekness. The only way you're going to deal with lust Exactly the same way. Realize that you, you're not capable of dealing with this. You're poor. You can't get what you need to overcome these things. You must go to God and get that. Amen? And if we keep ourselves in a state of looking at our failures, not the ones that are in the past, but as we fail, we look at them and we allow them to make us mourn it's going to keep us from repeating the same thing over and over again. We get in a cycle, don't we? Well, you know, it's just going to be a matter of time until that temper explodes again. It's just going to be a matter of time until whatever. Wait a minute. Poor in spirit, mourning. Meekness is operating under the authority of another. Jesus never gives me authority to sin. And as I work up through those things, I get to pure in heart. It's, it's one of the last ones. It's just before peacemakers and persecution. Jesus is going, and we come here to this passage, and it goes through all of the definitions of this word for swear that we find in the Oxford English Dictionary today are brought out in this passage about profaning God's name, about defrauding thy neighbor, uh, about cursing the blind, I mean, cursing the deaf, and uh, putting a stumbling block before the blind. Uh, it was interesting one time we were out street preaching, 
and the van was there and Brother John Rivera was with us and he'd offered a man a track. And, and this man thought that uh, Brother Rivera was just ignoring him, so he was cussing him as Brother Rivera was walking back toward the van. And I just, I was up on the platform getting ready for the next message and I just looked down at him and said, excuse me, he's deaf, he can't hear a word you're saying. And the guy just looked at me. I said, yeah, he has no hearing at all. And he just, he, he, you know, he's like, I can't even cuss and somebody hear me. I mean, he, it just ruined his day. I'll tell you what. You serve God. Amen. Be careful. All of these things are in here. All of these things are wrapped up in this idea of, of forswearing. You often, I have little eruptions around the Montoro home, don't we? And words are spewed at one another as weapons. And you go and try to find out what's going on. Well, he said, but she said, but he said. Avenge not yourselves. I've often said, especially some of the older kids have gotten upset at different times by things the younger ones have said. And I'll say, since when has a four-year-old become an authority on such and such a subject. That doesn't make sense, now does it? Hey, don't avenge yourself and don't hold a grudge. You let God take care of these things. Don't use your mouth as a weapon. That's where we do the most damage, is it not? Remember the little phrase? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. No, 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 it's the other way around. It's the words that go down into the soul and are there 20 years later. Bones will heal. This is what thou shalt not forswear thyself includes all of these items here. And again, when we look at them, what are we dealing with here? Same thing we were with anger. It's an issue of the heart. Amen? Lust. It's an issue of the heart. Words are from our heart. You ever had anybody say something very hurtful? And, oh, no, I'm just joking. No, they're not. But you get mad and spewing venom back at them. Is that going to solve anything? Thou shalt not forswear thyself. Jesus said, well, wait a minute, swear not at all. And then we go to Numbers chapter 30. We may have to pick this up next week. Numbers chapter 30. And as we read the rest of Matthew chapter 5, this passage speaking about, Jesus said, thou shalt perform thy vows and Numbers chapter 30 is the chapter in the Old Testament on vows. And verse 2 kind of gives us a basic summary of the whole thing. And, and this again is a passage that I would encourage you to read. 
It says, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. If you say you're going to do something, if you promise God you're going to do something, you will do it, or you will bear sin. That's what this chapter is all about. Now, there are some provisions in here. If you are under the authority of another person, if you are a young woman living at home in your father's house, if you are a wife that's married to a husband, you can make a promise to God, according to the Old Testament law here, and let's say we have a young woman maybe in her early teens and she is really just caught up in a good thing, wanting to serve God. And she says, I, I vow never to marry, to devote my whole life to serving God. Now, she could actually do that. Her father might come along and, and say, what did you say? What problem? When he finds out about it, he had that day. He had till the sun go, went down that day to say, now listen, daughter, you're a very young woman. You don't know what life is. You might think twice about making that promise. You come back to me before the sun goes down. We're going to talk about this. I want you to pray about it. And she comes back and she is adamantly opposed to the idea of marriage. And, she, and, and the father looks at her and says, Daughter, I'm not going to allow you to do that because you're too young to make this decision. He can disallow that vow which more than likely would have been a rash promise that would have been greatly regretted in years later. If a woman who was a wife said, you know, I'm going to uh, move to the tabernacle and devote all my time to serving God, her husband said, wait a minute, you, you made me a few promises that you're going to live in my home and raise our children, and I, I'm not going to allow you to do that. He had the right to disallow that vow in the day that he heard of it. If he waited till the sun came up the next morning, whatever promise that was made was made, period. It could not be changed. And if he caused her to violate that promise, then he was the one that bore the iniquity before God. But the Bible says if a woman was a widow or divorced or, or, and you just didn't have too many women living alone like we do today, but... If she was on her own and she made a vow, it was exactly the same as if a man made a vow. It had to be kept. In fact, we get to the book of Ecclesiastes and Song of Sol and Solomon in his book uh, said, it is better never to make a vow than it is to make a vow and break that vow. Now, Jesus, getting back to, okay, I want to tie this thing up, but I don't want to, we just don't have time to get everything here. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll break here in the middle, and Lord willing, next Thursday night we'll, we'll finish this passage up. I hope you can see with me how pervasive this simple little passage is in your life. There is not a day that goes by, there is not a day you will ever live as a Christian that these words 
will not come into play, that this passage of Scripture will not be applicable in your life in one way or another. Because we talk. That's how we communicate. And Jesus is saying, let's be careful about these words. He says, listen, swear not at all. Now, the whole idea here is, have you ever met someone, one, one of the uh, most profane statements that I have heard even preachers use, it's God's honest truth. I'm telling you, God's honest truth today. Have you ever heard anybody use that? Boy, I just, my blood starts boiling. If someone has to always use something else to enhance their veracity or their testimony, guess what? They got problems with their testimony. They know that their character in and of itself is not sufficient to give you, hey, it's going to be done. Listen, I promise you on a stack of Bibles, it's going to be done. When somebody is all the time trying to prove to you that they're telling you the truth, they got problems with lies. I get really nervous when a preacher says, uh, well, that's just preaching. Ooh, wait a minute. If he's preaching, he better come from the Bible. Amen. And I know sometimes it's used tongue in cheek, but boy, you got to be careful because we cast an aspersion. We put a dim light on some of the things that we're saying. If what we say is true, it shouldn't need to be proved. If you have enough character to back up your words... You don't have to add anything to them. This is the point Jesus is making here. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to go through the list. Uh, they swore by heaven. They swore by the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they swore by their head. These are just three different basic topics. When we get to Matthew chapter 23, we're going to find out that there was uh, different levels of swearing. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had this elaborate system all worked out to where they could tell you, I swear by the temple in Jerusalem. Oh, that didn't mean anything. I can lie when I swear by the temple in Jerusalem. But if I swear by the gold that's in the temple, man, I can't lie about that. Ooh, wow. I'd be an offender if I told that lie. And we're going to we're just go through that whole thing. But we have our own ways of doing all these things today. You don't believe me? Why do we do that? Because somebody's looking at us and they're doubting our veracity. That's a very nice way of calling you a liar. Listen. When we say things, people ought to believe them because they see Jesus in our lives. Amen? These things that Jesus is speaking, again, all goes back. These are the standards of righteousness to enter the kingdom. Every one of them is issues of the heart. 
That's why we call them issues of the law, because Jesus is saying, here's what the law said. If you make a promise, if you make an oath, you'd better keep it. But I'm telling you, you ought to have enough character that you don't need to add anything to your word. All God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to live these words. And Lord, in fact, that's your instruction here. The standard of righteousness. We ask that you would work in our hearts. Lord, that you would engage us in the struggle against what goes on to bring anger and resentment and unforgiveness in our hearts. Lord, when lust dwells up and rears its ugly head, that we would look to you to give us grace to conquer it. And Lord, that our words and our language would be that that would be reflected in your holiness and in your goodness. We ask that you would work in our hearts and lives to develop these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And as we often do, we'll just...